0: There are some people at the end of the service I want us to be in prayer for, and I'll talk about that at the end. This summer, we um, are talking about living in the light, and uh, the intent, our prayer, is that um, we would allow the scriptures to shed light on our lives. And so, uh, just as your pastor what God's put on my heart for this summer is that we would be grounded in the word and as a church we would be staying in the word and summer is a different season uh, but the challenge I have for you f- from me as your pastor is that we would stay in the in the word and we'll talk about specifically how we want to do that uh, this summer um, but we want to talk about living in the word this will be a Series that we will go through, and um, the theme verse is Psalm 119:105. Psalm 119:105 says, "Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path." I want to lay some groundwork this morning. Uh, and we'll, we're going to do some different kind of sermons probably. I'm, I'm not sure where all we're going this summer with uh, where in the Bible we will be. But I want to lay some groundwork. And there's really two ideas or truths that I want us to think about today. And, and the first one, I'll go ahead and give you my points and then I'll go to my scripture and I'll preach my sermon I want us to establish this truth that God sets the standards okay I want you just to get in that in your mind that God sets the standards okay the second truth is that one part ruins the whole okay one part ruins the whole And I want to look in the Old Testament at a story in Joshua, and we're going to be mostly in Joshua 7 this morning, but I want to start in in chapter 6 of Joshua. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, the first five books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and I'm sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I'm in the Old Testament today, been in the New Testament for a while. Let's go with the first five books of the Old Testament, at least some of you caught it. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are all what would be called the books of Moses. So Moses is the man. Uh, Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy. And Joshua uh, becomes the new leader. And they are poised to enter the promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. And Joshua's role is to take the children of Israel into the promised land. And in his years to conquer, uh, inhabit the promised land. And so they, early in Joshua, they cross the Jordan. That's a great story. A lot of great preaching material there. They come to the first city in Joshua 6, which is the city of Jericho. It's, it's not far from um, the Jordan River where they cross. And uh, God tells them exactly how they are to conquer the first city of Jericho and there's going to be a significance and we'll talk about that here in just a minute the first city and y'all remember the story um, they are to march around the city one time you learned this in Sunday school okay you've had this story if you've been a part of church Uh, you march around the city once every day and then on the seventh day you remember they were gonna march around seven times and they were gonna shout and I don't know if they he told them they he knew if he told them the walls were gonna fall I don't remember how that story exactly goes but anyhow they're just doing exactly what God told them to do I wanna pick up on that seventh day in Joshua 6 verse 15 if you'll either look in your Bible look on your phone or look on the screen And uh, follow this, this closely. Joshua 6 verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, and I, I want you to get this because these words are very significant to what we're going to talk about today. Notice in that moment what Joshua said to the people. He says, "Shout, for the Lord has given you the city." Uh, just brother Shane is just we've just sung about ha- hallelujah. Uh here is your weapon. You are going to shout and God's going to bring the victory. Verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. That's significant verbiage right there. It and all who are in it. Only exception, only Rahab the harlot. We don't have time to talk about that this morning. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who were with her, in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Verse 18. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things And make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. I want to pause right there. That's a lot of cursing in that verse. There's a lot of accursed in that verse. Um, I would contend this morning the repetition has significance. Let me read it again. And you by all means, this is what Joshua says to the people. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Make a mental note with the word trouble. Verse 19, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron, so these are all the precious metals, which actually would not be destroyed in a fire, are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now what God, what God is communicating through Joshua is that everything has been doomed to destruction by God. Everything is to be destroyed except for Rahab her household and whoever is in her house when the walls fall. Everything is accursed because God says it is doomed to despair, to destruction. The only other exception to that would be the precious metals, which God says are not accursed. They are consecrated. They are set apart for God. You take the precious metals that cannot be destroyed in the fire and they are to be used in God's service verse 20 so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat this is a great story I'm pretty sure we used to act this out in children's didn't we miss Dana probably we, we all fell down uh, then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. So you have to get this sense. I don't know. what There's something like two and a half million Jews. They've marched around the city. They surround the complete, the whole city of Jericho. When the walls fall, they all just went straight in whew, from all sides to destroy everything in the city. Verse 21, and they utterly destroyed all. That was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Um, At the very heart of those verses are the words of Joshua, who communicates from God not only how they are to conquer the city, but what they will do with the city once they conquer it. I want us to understand this morning that uh, this is not Joshua's idea. Joshua is not saying, hey, this is going to be a, a, a masterful military operation here. And what we're going to do is we're going we're to walk around the city uh, once for six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times and we're going to blow the trumpet and the walls are going to fall down, then we're all going to rush the city. This is the great military strategy. Uh, Joshua does not come up with this idea. This is God's idea. In fact, God is going to do it this way, so that they will know that it is God who gives the victory. And anything that happens from this day forward, they will always know. It was because of what God did, not because of what we did. And I think that's the, the reason that God... Uh, does this I believe the reason they completely destroy it is because God always says that the first fruits are his and Jericho is the first fruits of what they will secure conquer and God says and so everything that is of the first fruits is dedicated to God and must be redeemed uh, with money or sacrifice uh, for us to use God is very specific. Not only specific of how they are to walk around the cities and what days and how many times and blowing trumpets and all that that stuff, but God is also very specific. In fact, at the heart of most of what Joshua says is what to do with what we might call the spoils of battle. Everything is to be... Destroyed. There are to be no spoils of battle. The consequences of violating that is that one word at the end of verse 18, where it has the word trouble. Just know, if you violate this specific command of God, there will be trouble. We're gonna. That's you're gonna see that significance later on. When I read this, I realize, and this is foundational to what we will do this summer as a church, and it is the truth that I've already given you, that God sets the standards. Um, God sets the standards. God says, this is the way we're going to do this. Um, And Joshua speaks not of his own wisdom out of his own mind, but he speaks what God has told him to communicate to the people. I want us to understand this summer as we come to the Word of God that it's God that sets the standards. It is God who decides what is light, what is darkness, what is truth, what are lies. Uh... This is a pretty thick book. I don't know if you've thumbed through this lately, but there's a lot of words in here. And what strikes me is, we're going we're to cover 60 chapters in our daily readings this summer. Uh, I'm supposed to know how many chapters there are in the Bible. Somebody Google that and shout it out here in just a minute. But uh, I don't know. But 60 is uh, just a, per- a small percentage of that. What strikes me is God not only communicates... His standards, but he communicates very clearly. If you read this book, it becomes very clear God's standards of holiness. It's not really an issue that we don't know what God has to say because God has communicated those very clearly. (laughs) You know, if you're kind of a skeptic, if you're that person this morning and I say God sets the standards, your humanness. Wants to respond, and I know you're not going to say this to the preacher. Why? Why does God get to set the standards? Well, because He is God. You know, I I liken this to, you know, oh my kids, kids. Why? Why? I, you know, it's bedtime. You need to take out the trash. You have to be in at a certain time. I'm not throwing any Smith kids under the bus today, you know, but I may have a few. I may have one grandson in particular. Why? Papa D, why? There is a point as a parent. What do you say? Because I say so. And then you mumble under your breath I brought you in this world. I can take you out do not ask why Uh, again uh, there is a point that we just acknowledge that God is God and that his standards of holiness and righteousness are so because he says so And, and I think not only do we live in a world but our sinfulness wants to debate those things in our brains when we encounter those things and either explain them or justify and it is simply the sin nature in our life that says but I really think I know better and and we'll talk about this this summer really the crux of where we will find ourselves is when we are confronted with the standards of God and His truth in His word as we read it this summer and our humanness says "Uh, I don't know that really makes sense to me I don't think that's is that really I, I I don't know about that it seems that God's standards in our society and I will acknowledge as your preacher in my heart are up for debate But we lay the groundwork this morning first to say that God sets the standards. Well, the story changes, turns. In chapter 7, verse 1, <laughs> and it's that contrastive what, what grammatical term am I looking for? Conjunction? What is this word? But. So, great victory. Man, they've done it the way God said to do. Chapter 7, verse 1. But, the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. Now, this is before this has been acknowledged, but verse 1 acknowledges that God knows. For Achan... We just went ahead and called the name. And we're going to go ahead and give his lineage. We're going to throw the whole family under the bus. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Uh, there's a couple things that are significant in this verse and one of them I know this term is the indefinite article a but the children of Israel committed a trespass not trespasses no it was a trespass it was a trespass Uh, there was just one thing that they did and actually, they all didn't do it. It's really just one man that did this. Um, and I think that's something we, we will talk about here in just a minute, but something we have to uh, acknowledge that even though we might look at it and say it was Achan's sin, it is not described that way. It doesn't say, but Achan committed a trespass regarding the accursed things it says but the children of israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things and that quite honestly that is offensive to our sensibilities in an individualistic society but we're going to come back to that here in just a minute because it i think it's at the very heart of what we we would need to understand today but just make a note that one man ruins it for the whole nation and we see as the story unfolds that there are always consequences to sin and the verses I'm not gonna read from verses 2 to 5 they go to the next city which is a city, a little city not a big deal it's not as big as Jericho it's about 12 miles away uh, west it's called AI children of Israel are defeated And we know specifically there are 36 men who die that day. Uh, Notice Joshua's response in verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you... And I want to stop right there. I'm just going to, we're going to read to the end of the chapter. But I want you to see that Joshua's response to the circumstances of what happened, the defeat and the death, was, Why, God, have you done this? Joshua accuses God. Uh, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? This, this moment really reminds me of that end of, I don't mean to laugh, it's easy to laugh when it's somebody else, isn't it? Uh, the end of Job. Blah, 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 blah. blah. If you've ever read Job, like from chapter 3 to chapter 39, everybody's talking about all this stuff. And finally God just says, why don't y'all sit down and keep quiet? I wanted to use that other phrase. But anyhow, Charlotte's listening, so we don't you shut up from the pulpit. And God says, let me just show you. Let me, y'all have talked, you know, for 36 chapters. I have something I want to say. And so God speaks. This reminds me of that point. Joshua accuses God. Verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? And here it is in verse 11. Israel has sinned. Now, once again, remember. He didn't say Achan had sinned. He says Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. It's the same phrase that God used to describe what needed to happen to Jericho. They are doomed to destruction because they took of the accursed things. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things. From among you. And so God tells Joshua what to do. And this is rather interesting. Pick up the story in verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And they began to to narrow it down. Whittle it down. I want to refer you back to verse 1 where it says, Achan was the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. This is going to play back in reverse order now. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Now, Daryl Smith, just in my brain, I'm sitting there going... Wonder what Achan's thinking. You know, it's like, you know, feeling pretty good. There's 12 tribes. Uh Uh-oh. Got down to my tribe. Y'all, it gets worse. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerites. Uh Uh-oh. And he brought the family of the Zerites man by man and Zabdi. Was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, of the son of Zabdi, of the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Here it is in verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. Notice particularly with me verse 21. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. I think what Achan describes in verse 21 is very significant to what happens in our own lives. When God's standards of holiness are clearly communicated to us and what we describe to do, what, we, what happens in that moment and what happens in the midst of our lives when we know those standards and we are confronted with things. Aiken says that I saw... so many times we are led astray by our eyes and um, many times our eyes lead us to things further deeper inside of us in which then we are led further astray by our feelings and then our desires and I think that's exactly the process that Achan would have gone through in that moment as they rushed into the city of Jericho, and he was confronted with an opportunity to take some very valuable things. And he describes them, a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. I I found out what the weight of shekel was and what the cost of silver is today and gold is today. And I calculated this at about $40,000 in today's money. I don't even know what that would have been in Achan's day it was a boatload of money I mean this was this was the chance of a lifetime um, and so surely in Aiken's mind he thinks what a waste what an opportunity I have that you would think well, I'll never have again in my life And so he describes it, that he covets that. I think it's interesting the way he describes it in verse 21 when he says, when I saw among the spoils. (laughs) I know it's just words. But there were no spoils. God called them the accursed things. (laughs) Achan doesn't say, when I saw among the accursed things. No, he says, when I saw among the spoils. What was he saying in his mind? These ought to be spoils of battle. This is a waste that we're going to burn all of this. The Babylonian garment would have been a waste to burn. But reality, the precious metals weren't going to be destroyed because they were consecrated and were going to be used by God. Achan steals those things because they're not his. They were God's. His deceit runs further in fact earlier in the scriptures um, God says that they have transgressed they have taken of the accursed things they have stolen and deceived so there has to be some deceit to get out of the city of Jericho and get back to the encampment I don't know what you do I don't know if you put the take off your garment and you put the Babylonian garment over it and then, I mean under it and then put it over it and you know I don't I think you're hiking out with you know, Quite a few pounds of precious metals, and no, it this is not something in the heat of the moment, he just did something and sinned. No, this took some work. And if your sensibilities are offended by the fact that his family dies, understand that his family had to be complicit in this because once you get it back to your tent, and you know, if your wife ever walks in and you're burying something in the living room floor, you know, uh, it you your answer she says what is that you, it, your answer can't be it's it's nothing no no it's a concrete floor you're jackhammering what are you burying underneath there Um, maybe not quite that dramatic for Aiken but you realize that there was not only theft but there was deception and his family was complicit this was an overt direct violation of what Achan knew was wrong. No, he knew it. Let me read these final verses and I want to just wrap it up. So, verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all... Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerai, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them out to the valley of Akur. This was not the name of the valley. This is what the Hebrews called it. The word Akur in Hebrew is the word trouble. They brought him out to the Valley of Trouble. This is what they called it. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Akur to this day. This sin and this moment in their history was memorialized by a pile of stones as a testimony of how serious sin is to God. This story reminds me of the truth that I want us to apply today, that one part ruins the whole 99.99% of Israel did exactly what God told them to do that day. There was only one. But one part ruins the whole. Um, I I say that because I believe it's a significant spiritual truth for us today. When we come to things in our life, and we will come to things this summer, they will say, well, but it's only... mm, But, you know... You know, God, 99.99%, I'm, I'm, but, but God, I'm. surely that outweighs the 99.99% of all the things that I'm doing right. Surely that outweighs the .01%. That's not exactly right, Lord, right? It doesn't work like that because one part ruins the whole. That's why the sin of Achan was described as the sin of all of Israel because it affects everyone else. Uh, you can go down to Boots's and you can buy s- uh, sulfuric acid. Uh, I mean, if you've got a really bad drain in your house, um, I actually, w- I thought I had some at the church and I was going to put it up here, but it's a little dangerous, quite honestly, because if you ever open it and you ever pour it in something, you better be standing back because it's really strong. But just suppose this is my illustration is that if I had a glass of water, say eight ounces of water, and I had a- the container of the sulfuric acid. And I just poured a few drops of the sulfuric acid into the eight ounces of pure water. And I offered it to you to drink. You watched me. Would you drink it? The answer is no. No, it's bad. Because one part ruins the whole. Here's what we have to understand. The reverse of this truth is not true. One part does not purify the whole. Suppose I took a glass of sulfuric acid and I had my glass of water and I put a a, a couple drops of pure water in the sulfuric acid. Does that make it all purified water? Not at all. We have to understand this spiritual truth that one part ruins... The whole. And so sin is very significant. Whatever it is that God sheds light on this summer, we have to take seriously. I want you to stand this morning. I'm going to close. I know I've gone long this morning. Um, There's... There's just two points of application today. And one is that we want to give you something very specific to do. We have sheets that are reading plans for this summer. They have five chapters of the Bible. And they're in the for You can pick you one up and we will be doing this through the summer. They are a mixture of Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. And we ask, I will have a journal and every morning when I do my quiet time, Uh, I will be writing in my journal, and I will be applying that chapter based on the space acrostic which is on your sheet. Is there a sin to confess, a promise to claim, an attitude to change, uh, a command to to obey, an example to follow? And all I'm asking is take your chapter, read it. Uh, My friend Sammy Weaver does it at night. I'm in the morning, Sammy does it. Noon. I don't care. God to speak to you. And so all I ask is to do that. And then I want us to pray today to close uh, the prayer that David writes at the end of Psalm 139. And it says Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want us just, I know y'all are going to have to look at the screen, but I want us today to close. I have just a couple things to say right at the end. Uh, But our closing prayer, I want us to pray out loud together David's prayer at the end of Psalm 139. So if you will join me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen and amen. Before we close, just... Um, uh, I want us to pray. For, we're not going to pray at the end, but if, if you'll be praying for the Edens family, this is Autumn Wood's father who died uh, suddenly uh, this week. Pray for uh, Autumn's family. I know Susan Tucker continues to go through her treatment. We want to pray for Susan and uh, the young man, the Blaylock uh, young man, Obed, uh, who had a uh, accident at the lake and is paralyzed and has been in Shreveport for the last three weeks. If you would remember to pray for Obed Blaylock. And uh, I know uh, not only is Miss Bobby recovering from knee surgery, but also her mom, Mrs. Brown, is in the hospital right now. And uh, I know there's a number of other people. I, I think also of. Um, Uh, Kevin Burnett's dad, Jimmy Burnett, uh, who's gotten some hard news this week and they're looking at options at MD Anderson in Houston if you'll be praying for those. Uh, We're glad today uh, to have Ashley and Matt Campbell that are here. I know we have a, a shower to honor them today and they don't make it in a whole lot. I think Matt's only been here one other time that I can remember, but Ashley obviously was raised here. Rachel is also here. Yes? Danny had to be in his church this morning, so we're glad they're here. But I would just encourage you, if you uh, have time, to go by in the Community Outreach Center and just uh, visit with Ashley and Matt as they're here. And so um, thank you for being here, and you are dismissed.